This is the Concealed Carry Podcast, episode number 323. And welcome to the Concealed Carry Podcast, part of the ConcealedCarry.com network. I am your host, Riley Bowman, joined today by Mr. President, CEO, extraordinaire, you know, big time, big wig dude, Jacob Paulson. Yeah. Yeah. I'm leading this massive company of like nine people. Yeah. <laughs> uh, you know, I just, I'm going to keep working on that title of yours until we settle on something that, that really makes sense. But, uh, <laughs> Happy Killdozer Day, Jacob. <laughs> I couldn't help it. Before I, what, a, what a horrible, dumb day to celebrate. <laughs> well, you know, it's just one of those things that just is so bizarre and so odd that uh, people just have to remember it, you know? Uh, yeah, so folks don't, that don't know what we're talking about, uh, we were just talking about this before we went live with the recording. Uh, today, June 4th, 2004, uh, was the day that a gentleman, uh, Marvin Hemeyer, he was upset at the city for some decision they made, and uh, he decided to take a bulldozer, convert it into basically an impregnable tank, minus a turret. He, he welded all this steel plating and everything around it, and then went on a rampage through the town. I don't think anybody else died. He died, but it, it took a while for for that to come to a resolution because they literally could not stop him. Bulldozer that has steel plating and everything all around, just with little tiny windows that he could look through. So that happened 15 years just ago today. How dangerous, how dangerous could it be? You know, it's like, it moves like whopping like five miles an hour. Like you can walk away from it faster <laughs> than it could run you over. Right? Like, it's it's kind of like all zombie movies ever where it's like, you know, you, the zombies are like incapable of even walking and yet they're somehow like catching people and killing them. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, crazy things sometimes, you know? Uh, yeah. So today is our justified saves episode. Uh, this being the first Tuesday of the month, which means today we were talking about nothing but justified save stories. We've got a number of great stories we're looking forward to covering with you all. Uh, towards the end, don't forget, we will be announcing a winner of this week's weekly podcast giveaway winner, uh, which will be for a set of Takeos cards. I think I've got a set right here. Bam, check that out. And uh, so some one lucky winner will get a set of these Takeos cards. They're great cards for doing dry fire and live fire training and practice, different drills and different things, uh, establishing baselines, measuring against standards. Really great set of cards. We like the Takeos cards. We love them a lot. So Somebody's going to win one of these today. Lucky them. Uh, I think you're confused, Riley. Someone's going to win one of those next week. This week, the prize is the Vehicle Firearm Tactics course. Oh, wow. Yeah, you're right. Sorry. (laughs) Well, we did take those cards a couple weeks ago, and I, yeah. Forget that. If you are super stoked about Riley's little sales pitch on the cards, you can go to concealedcare.com forward slash podcast prize and enter right now, and you could win next week. Yeah. There you go. (laughs) Looking at the wrong part of the outline, obviously. So, uh, Takos cards are cool. You can go buy them this week, too, but make sure you enter the drawing. Vehicle Farm Tactics. I thought I had that sitting around here somewhere, too. I I don't know where that went. Anyway. Vehicle Farm Tactics DVD, great uh, video course. 
Uh, or are we giving the online version away? Uh, online, I think. Online. So, you know, and that means you can stream it from your computer. You can stream it from your tablet. You can stream it from your phone, especially if you're using the Concealed Carry Gun Tools app. All right, so you'll get access, online access to our Vehicle Firearm Tactics course, and you can go right into the app and go right to where your courses appear in the menu. You find my courses, and you'll find it right there. I've got it. Pretty cool. So there you have it. Watch it on your phone. Watch it on your computer. Online access. All right. Today's podcast, though, is brought to you and made possible today, sponsored by Hi-Viz Shooting Systems or Hi-Viz Sites, HiVizSites.com. If you don't know how to spell that, that is H-I-V-I-Z Sites.com. So a week or two ago, Jacob, we talked about receiving a set of Hi-Viz Sites, right? And True. now we actually have them. So we, 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 you know, we talked about them a little bit. We had them in the package. We were checking them out. But now we actually have them installed on our guns. So yep. check that out. Yep. Uh, so far, so good, I'd say. First impressions. Um, we both need to get some rounds down range. I think you have a class coming up you're going to take. I need. I just need to get to the range. I got some travel coming up, and then after that, I'm going to go put some, put some rounds for this. But I put these guys on my Glock 19 Gen 3, and... Uh, yeah, that I mean, for me, these are the these are the what are they called? H three or yeah, Lightwave H three are the sites from Hi-Viz. and they're similar in size, like in terms of just the overall profile as as my stock sites. I just get some nice color and I get some nice uh, glow and some good night sights. Very bi- visible, very easy to pick up that green dot between you know in that in that in the orange rear. And of course, you could change the colors if that's what you wanted to do. But for me, I have the green front sight. It's just really easy to pick up uh, in that in that orange rear notch. So, yeah, that's the story. Yep, yep. Um, you know, that's kind of been my experience as well. Uh, I think they are really well designed. I think they seem like they're very robust. Uh, they're, they're obviously made from metal, from steel. Uh, and then they got the tritium inside with the, they call it, so these are the tritium light pipe sites. Light pipe is the term that Hivis uses to describe their fiber optics. Uh, so yeah, I mean it's a pipe basically, and it, it it passes through light. So during the day, I'll tell you, during really bright light, these things they are hard to miss. You you cannot miss them. They're so bright, right there in your face. What I like about something like that, Jacob, is that it's so bright that even if you're not focusing on your sights, particularly in like closer up shots. <clears throat> You, you're going to see them. Like They'll be right there in your face. You can superimpose them over the target, pull the trigger. Uh, they're, they're really bright. They're really great for that purpose. During daylight conditions, the front sight does have that white outline around the light pipe, which I appreciate because it just gives a little bit greater contrast with the rear sights that don't have any outlining around the, the orange or reddish uh, dots in the rear. And I appreciate that because I want greater contrast. I want the brightest thing in my sight picture to be my front sight. And the rear can be blacked out or it can have a couple little dots, whatever, but I don't want those rear sights to get overly obnoxious or, or take away from the brightness and the contrast that I'm getting from, from that front sight. So I appreciate that, that bright green front fiber optic. Uh, of course, I think you have the options. You can choose, I think, orange and orange and green and orange and green and green, a couple different options from uh, Hi-Viz. 
but I went with the green front, orange rear. I think Jacob did the same, and that's intentional so that, in my experience, the the green will be really bright in sunlight. Uh, with that white outline, it's going to be just impossible to miss, and the orange ones in the rear not going to be quite as bright. So it uh, should be a nice sight picture. I haven't put rounds down range yet like you uh, through them, but I'm looking forward to doing it. And yes, you are correct. This coming weekend, I am taking a uh, Dave Spaulding. Uh, it's a movement uh, class. Oh, I can't remember what he calls it now. Adaptive it's kinetic something. Kinetic, that's what it is. A kinetic yeah. combat pistol. I think is what is the name of the course. Really looking forward to it. These are going to be put through the ringer in that course. I'm sure. So, and this is mounted on my Glock 17. So I, I've been carrying concealed the last couple of days of 17. I just kind of bouncing around, you know? Uh, so, uh, yeah, this will be what I'll be shooting this coming weekend. So it'll be a good time. I'll give you guys a full report on my findings after running them for a thousand rounds or so uh, through that course and probably also through my uh, own personal testing as well. So yeah. really excited about these LightWave H3 sites. And they, the H3 um, are, are the newest model, I guess, that they have. And so it's still relatively um, restricted on the number of guns that are available. Uh, certainly, you know, it's a, it's a relatively short list right now, but light, you know, the LightWave original LightWave sites are available on a large number of guns. And as that's something you might consider, or you might just email these guys and say, Hey, this is, I'm interested in the H3 sites. You know, here's the gun that I'd like to see them for. And, you know, feedback that they get from consumers is going to help direct, you know, what, what gun they make those sites for next. Yep. Yeah. I am excited to see more models coming from them. I'm sure they will. I hope to see some for the P320s. Uh, here soon because that would really get me excited. I'd love I'd love to try a set of these on my P320s. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, yep. there you go. Yep. I so, figure if it's good enough for uh, Jerry Michalik, you know, it should work for me too. Yep. So thank you, Hi Viz, and thank you for sponsoring the podcast and for letting us try out your new LightWave H3 sites, folks. Check them out. Give them some love. Head on over to HiVizSites.com. H-I-V-I-Z-S-I-G-H-T-S.com. HiVizSites.com. So, um, folks are probably also going to want to know uh, why there's not a case of the week this week, and it's because Andrew has not got us one. And so uh, we'll see if he gets back uh, going on those again next week or not. Um, so no case of the week today. So we're going to move right into our first news story. And this is a story out of New York. This is actually not officially a – well, it is a justified safe story, actually. But it's a it's one with a big – Big twist, a big legal twist. There's a story out of New York State where a 64-year-old man was arrested for possession of a legal handgun after he fatally shot a pair of intruders, essentially. okay, They were coming through his home uh, Tuesday afternoon. This, this is actually a week or two ago. And he grabbed a gun, used it lawfully, I might add, in self-defense. There was nothing, there was no question, according to the DA's office, you know, as to the the use of the force, but he is now facing charges, not because of the force he used, but because the gun he used. Tell us uh, what what was wrong with the gun, Jacob. It wasn't registered. <laughs> that's crazy. That's crazy yep. talk. That's pretty pretty simple stuff. You know, which means if he had been like virtually anywhere else in this country, he would have been just fine, right? But in in New York City. Uh, well, really, New York State, New York arguably, State. yeah, you know, that's that's a problem. So, New York State is one of a, a very small number of jurisdictions that does continue to maintain a firearm registry 
uh, arguably they're kind of grandfathered in prior to that law, the Fire Motor Protection Act being passed in 1986. And so they continue to operate a firearm registry and to own and possess a firearm that's not registered is not okay. It is a felony possession of an illegal handgun in New York. Yeah. And this man says that, uh, you know, the, the gun was his father's and he just forgot to register it, you know? Yeah, I was going to say, it, it's not like he acquired this thing. For a and, crime scene, yeah. You know, and, and should have known, hey, I bought a new gun. I need to make sure it's registered. It's that his dad owned the gun. His dad passed away and he just by default inherited this gun. Yep, yep. Sounds pretty innocent, right? And, and that's his story. Like, we don't know. For all we know, he's a total criminal and he bought it out of a, a, a black, you know, all paneled van last week. We, we don't know, right? But what, what he's saying is, no, this was my dad's gun. My dad gave it to me. I forgot to register it. I'm so sorry. Uh, but someone just tried to, I just had this life-threatening, horrible confrontation, right? Use a gun to defend myself. And now you're slapping handcuffs on me and I'm being charged with a felony. I'd call that, uh, that, that you know, problem. That's, that, That's bad. Yeah. It pretty much sucks. That pretty much sucks. So uh, we're really sorry about that, but you know what? <clears throat> you got to follow the laws of your jurisdictions, unfortunately. Even even if you feel this is an unjust law or an unconstitutional law, regardless of how you feel about that, you fail to follow the law and you get caught, you're going to pay the price. And this guy the, could do some the time. Good, the good news is this dude's alive, right? Yeah. He survived a physical confrontation. And so to that end... Sweet, awesome. I bet he's still glad he had that gun. Yep. Yeah, I, I'm with you there. Now, what are, just real quick, for I think people's benefits, uh, I think chances are if you live in any of these states, you probably know, but in case you don't, <clears throat> let's see, New York has a, a registration, right? California, yep, California does on handguns. Hawaii. Uh, Hawaii. Maryland. Yep. And Massachusetts. Massachusetts. That sounds familiar too. I think that's it. That sounds, Off the top of my head. Yeah. Yeah. Hopefully we didn't miss any, but that, that, you know, and if you move into some of those states, you, you need to make sure you really do your homework ahead of time. Like, don't just go move in there and be like, oh, I'll sort that out later. Uh, you might find yourself in some hot water if you're not careful. So I've certainly known of people that have moved to some of those states where they've left guns in possession of, of a family member or a trusted friend for a time until they could get there, get settled in, maybe, you know, look into the laws and then begin figuring out what they got to do to, to bring their guns in legally or get them registered or do whatever they have to do. Or sometimes, you know, I had a friend that moved to California and knew he was going to be there for a year temporarily for just a temporary work assignment. So he just left all of his guns with his parents. So that's, it sucks. It comes to that, but that's, that's the way it is in some of these States. Yeah. It, yeah what's really frustrating is that, <laughs> that the media portrays that as being the norm, not the exception. Right. Right. We get emails and comments from people all the time as a business asking how, how they're supposed to register their guns. You know, mm -hmm. Oh, I just inherited these from my dead, you know, whoever relative, how do I register that? People inherently yep. actually think that all guns in America are registered. We hear it all the time. So it's, it's, it's really frustrating that what is really an exception to a rule is, is perceived to be the norm. Yeah. Jerry asks, do you think the ACLU will help him out? I would say doubtful, but then again, ACLU has surprised me before. I mean, I most of the time I find myself struggling a little bit with some of the cases ACLU takes up, but occasionally they have taken up 
uh, or been on the side of certain cases that uh, even were in support of the Second Amendment. So uh, I, I would say it's probably doubtful. Um, it's uh, the better, the more likely scenario would be if the Second Amendment Foundation maybe get on board with this guy and help him out. That's kind of one of the things they're this, known for. This would be an uphill battle, certainly, to try and suppose that this law is not constitutional, right? Yeah. That, that's where I'm at. Is that yeah. you know, the Fire Motor Protection Act of 1986? The way it's worded does seem to suggest that if you had a firearm registry in place before that law passed, that it, it can continue to exist. So it'd be a pretty uphill legal battle to try and you know overrule this one. Yeah, and I I agree, uh, but you know you never know, and uh, sometimes this is where some of these cases start that make their way to the Supreme Court. You know, I mean we we had similar cases. I mean similar, I say like cases that probably seemed like uphill battles in places like Chicago or Washington DC, you know, that eventually became the McDonald case or the the uh Heller case, right? So also those probably start out as being long shots, but you you get the right courts in you know in play and, and they're favorable towards toward the Second Amendment and you never know what'll happen. So I don't know. Best case scenario for this guy would be if he gets a, a good attorney and they they do the right things in the right way and know how to know how to play the game. Maybe they can you know get the DA to uh, show this man some leniency. Maybe maybe cut a deal. Maybe get it down to a misdemeanor so he doesn't have to forfeit his rights forever and ever. Because like you said, this is a felony charge. Unfortunately for him. All right, moving now to. Milwaukee, Milwaukee, Wisconsin. This is quite the story. Uh, WISN.com. Title is, I was scared. Concealed carry permit owner shot man in self-defense. This is wild. And this happened outside police headquarters. Mm-hmm. Now, this is nuts. I, I, this, I, I, I read this and I was like, you've got to be kidding me. So, by the way, the media has totally missed out on an opportunity. Because we could have had a headline to the effect of "man shot over parking spot again," <laughs> <laughs> right? Because I mean, this sounds like that case out of uh, Florida, right? Well, it, I mean, I mean uh, via headline, I could certainly yeah. make it sound the same, right? <laughs> right. So, but it's 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 not you know that would not portray the correct the correct narrative. So what really happens right. is, um, woman comes to police station and parks in a handicap spot. And she has a handicap placard. So it would seem to be that all is well. This man, uh, as I interpret it, sees her uh, coming to her car and, or sees her you know, get it, leaving her car. At any, at any point, he sees her and says, there's no way that woman could possibly really need a handicap placard just from my own two cents and judgment looking at her. Yeah. She's too young to be handicapped. She's 28 and, years old. Yeah. There's just, no, I call it BS on that one. So Either if, if he saw her getting out of the car, then I assume he waits for her to return. So she comes out of the police station and this man uh, you know, verbally attacks her and at some point um, goes back to his car and retrieves a steering wheel lock. I wonder if it's the club. That'd be awesome if it was the club. <laughs> the club. That would fit even better because then we could have a headline like, man uses club over parking spot. Anyway. <laughs> So he retrieves his steering wheel lock and swings it at this woman. And uh, she said that uh, her words are, he swung it at her as she held him off with one hand. That's, I guess that's the journalist's words. Then she reached into her purse and pulled out her handgun. 
and she fired and she hit him in the leg. And what what was really interesting to me about this story? There's a couple of little you know details and tidbits, and I'll pass it over to you. But I'll I'll point out this one. She repeatedly said that she was screaming for help, and no one would help her. And we know from from the the article here that there were lots of witnesses. A lot of people were able to later speak to police and tell exactly what had happened and, and describe, yeah. you know, that she was, it was self-defense uh, because otherwise it might not have looked like self-defense certainly didn't to the FBI agent uh, who we'll mention here in a minute, but, but she was screaming for help and no one would come to her aid in the parking lot of the police station with witnesses. Yeah. I mean, exactly. We're, we're right in front of the police station and this is going on. She's screaming and uh, no one comes. I mean, this dude, it's not like he pulled out a gun and this situation has to be resolved in a second or two. You know, it's, it's a club. Uh, now, this woman, she, she was really fortunate. She was fortunate she actually had a permit that she was carrying a gun. She was doing so legally. Uh, there's no question at all about, I think, this being justified. In fact, you know, the charges were filed against the man. And even the man himself, I thought this was interesting. As he was talking to police on scene, it sounded like he basically, he was like, yep, uh, she got me. You know, like, yeah, she 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 had every right to shoot me sort of thing. Yeah. Like, he, he admitted himself. <laughs> like, yeah. I, this guy clearly was, he knew he was in the wrong. He knew he screwed up. He just got so heated in the moment. And certainly, I sure, I'm sure didn't expect her to have a gun. I mean, he, yeah. he thought he was going to do whatever he was going to do and get away with it uh, and teach this, this girl a lesson. And it didn't go that way, obviously, because she was prepared and she was ready to an extent. I, I'm a little bit concerned about her mindset. Uh, she got the job done. Sure. After she'd fortunate. already been swung that with a wheel lock. Right. She said that she didn't want to shoot to kill. So I'm, I'm concerned about two things, obviously, because she's using the shoot to kill terminology. So that's that's a misunderstanding in her mindset as well um and but she, and she shot him in the leg so i'm kind of led to think not only is she using long, wrong terminology but maybe she's actually thinking like that's that's the thing like okay you either shoot to kill or you don't and so i don't know whether she intentionally aimed for his leg i, I kind of feel like that she probably aimed low i think she aimed i think she was afraid to put that front sight on that dude's chest and pull the trigger. I think she aimed low and maybe even jerked a little bit or anticipated whatever and hit him in the leg. That's what I think happened here. So there's a little bit of a concern of mindset there, but I'm still proud of her. I'm proud of her for, for doing what she felt like she had to do to defend herself. You got a, you got a guy coming at you with a, with a club, <laughs> a steering wheel lock and swinging at you. Uh, I, I think she was very hesitant, which I think is good for her as far as showing that, that hesitation, that, uh, you know that lack of a desire to actually go to that last resort of force of deadly force uh but she did it when she needed to and she got the job done uh, i think there's also a tactical blunder for me in the in the delay like it, it, assuming that the the narrative we have in the news story is accurate uh chronologically then it suggests to me that man confronts victim man walks away to car grabs big thing that looks like a weapon according right. to her statement, comes back toward her, swings it at her, and then she pulls the gun from the purse. And so I do think that there's a potential tactical error there. I think, in, you know, I'd like to believe, had, had I been in that situation, when I saw the man coming back from that vehicle, you know, carrying a blunt object, that might have been a time to at very least, you know, establish my grip, uh, start issuing verbal commands, creating distance, 
Get the uh, heck out I, of there. I don't. Yeah, I would like to believe I I never would have lo- let it get to a point where someone was swinging the thing at me. Or or get in your vehicle and lock the doors. Right. Uh, at least that buys you a little bit more time. You can be on the phone. You can actually be calling police. Whatever it is. Uh, it's hard for us to judge that, obviously, uh, accurately, because we don't have a diagram. We don't have, okay, this is where she was, this is where her car was, this is where the man was, this is the, the entrance to the police station, whatever it is. Uh, so it's hard to know exactly why she did what she did or why she didn't do these other things. But I agree with you that there's clearly some period of time where I feel like she should have tried to get away. Mm-hmm. Um, not that she's required to, just that that's the tactically smart thing to try to do if you have that opportunity. So, yeah, I agree with you there. That's a, that's a very important observation. Um, I was just going to mention, you know, because I've seen this sort of happen. I've seen people, there, there's something about this whole handicap parking space. Maybe, maybe we should abolish all handicap parking spaces. I'm going to get some hate mail now because it just seems like it's causing a lot of problems. <laughs> no, I, I'm, I'm totally joking about that. But uh, uh, I've seen people have arguments about handicap parking spaces. I I've, I was in a parking lot once and someone was like, you shouldn't be parking there and all this stuff. And, the, and what it was, the lady had forgotten to put her placard up in, 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 in the, you know, on the mirror. And she's like, oh, I, I have a placard or placard, you know, and the dude was like yelling at her and trying to get her to move. And she goes back into the car and grabs her placard and sticks it up on the mirror. Um, we don't understand everybody's specific circumstances. We don't know why they have that placard. She, yeah, this young lady, maybe 20 years, 28 years old. She may even be physically fit as far as we can tell. But I know people that have placards because they are the person that provides rides for a disabled member of their family. It's a totally legit reason. And, and well, it's so, not legit to use that placard when you're not giving a ride to that. No, disabled. no, no. That's true. That's true. But she, if you read the story, she was not parked in a handicapped spot. Right, right. Right. She was actually, so she wasn't, I mean, so it was left in her window or whatever, but uh, she was not using it, even though it sounds like she could have, you know, by nature of having the placard. But, you know, I've seen, I've known people that are in that situation where they have one because they provide rides and transportation for a disabled member of their family. And a lot of times they'll take it out of the window when they're not using it. But when they've got, you know, that individual with them, they'll, they'll, they'll use it. Sure. Uh, so, and I do think the people that have those placard placards, try to be respectful of, of when they are used and when they're not. Um, so anyway, just, just some food for thought. Well, there, here's, here's the other side of the story. Uh, kind of there's some aftermath lessons here. Mm. So here's what we learn. It's after she fired one shot and hit the bad man in the leg, quote, an FBI agent came out of nowhere and told me, freeze, FBI, put the weapon down. Mm. I put it down. He said, put my hands up and step away from the weapon, which I did because I was afraid, end quote. So only after she's fired the gun does someone come to the aid or to the attention of of the situation, and it happens to be an FBI agent who identifies himself, puts a gun on her, you know, the victim, tells her to put the weapon down and step away, which she did. And so it turned out fine. And they and she was detained for a small period of time. And then it says that they, you know, she's been released and pending investigation or whatever. Uh, but I, I think there's an interesting little tidbit there that, you know, by nature of the environment, it, you know, she wasn't that far away from some law enforcement people. In this case, happened ironically to be an FBI agent. But you know, sometimes we think of, well, you know, shots are gonna fire, and then I'm gonna have a minute or two or three or five or ten before law enforcement arrives on scene. This happened to be a situation where whether the FBI agent 
frequents the police station often or not, uh, I, I would call it relatively random that there's an FBI agent happens to be in the parking lot and happens to respond. So um, it's very immediate in this case. You know, it's shots fired, boom, someone's there, put the gun down. Yeah. Yep. I'm, I'm glad you also uh, pointed that out as well. I, I, uh, that's a good, good observation. So we need to be, I mean, this is, this is a great example though of, you know, so often we hear the, the idea proposed that, well, you know, if, if police show up on scene and I've got a gun in my hand, I'm just going to automatically get shot. That's not necessarily, not necessarily the case. Now we need to be prepared. We need to be ready if possible, if we've just used a weapon in, in defense, uh, particularly a handgun, and if it's safe for us to do so, it's probably not a bad idea to secure that weapon away or to, to holster it or whatever uh, before, just before, ideally, would be what I would say. Just whenever you feel like it is safe to do so, because uh, it's less than ideal to be standing there with a gun in hand when police show up on scene. But at the same time, police are not trained to typically just start shooting as soon as they see somebody with a gun. Unless, you know, there's definitely exceptions in every, in every, every uh, you know, all, all these different circumstances, possible circumstances that, that could occur. But generally speaking, like, they're going to issue commands. That's how they're trained. This FBI agent shows up, runs to the scene, tells her to freeze, tells her to put the weapon down. She does. So it was really good on her part, too, to, to have that wherewithal, to have that presence of mind to comply with those instructions immediately. And, uh, you know, it probably saved her life as well. So they got it all sorted out very quickly because it said that she was only in cuffs for a few minutes. You know, it was one of those situations like, put your weapon down. We got to sort this out. We got to figure out what's going on. You, you get arrested. You get arrested, you know, and now the story comes out. Now the witnesses are speaking, whatever. And she's she's in cuffs for a few minutes, but she's allowed to, uh, to go free. So and she's also lucky that there were witnesses. You know, had Absolutely. there not been any eyewitnesses, you know, she probably would have been charged and now have to go figure out how to present that evidence in, yeah. in the court. I'll bet you there's cameras, though. I'll bet you there's camera yeah, somewhere. Seems likely. Yeah. Uh, being the location that it was. Shifting gears now over to Las Vegas. Fox5Vegas.com reports Las Vegas police say an East Valley intruder is killed in self-defense. I know something about East the East Valley of Vegas. <laughs> uh, I worked there for a summer uh, for a big construction company and we had a couple developments in the East Valley. And I'll tell you, I have some interesting stories to tell. But anyway, uh, in this situation... Um, so an intruder broke into a home in the, in the East Valley. This is on a Friday afternoon, just this last week. According to police, officers were called to this home. It was about 12.08 p.m. Uh, officers had received a call about a possible robbery. Two brothers lived in this home. The younger brother in his mid-40s alerted his older brother in his mid-50s about people trying to break into the house. When the older brother got out of his room, a man was in the hallway, and the two started fighting. While they were in a struggle, the younger brother fired several rounds at the man, hitting him. The two continued to fight, made their way outside, and fell to the ground in the driveway. Wow, that's intense. Uh, a neighbor heard the gunshots, went to check, called 911. Police arrived, found deceased on scene. Or he, I guess actually he was, he was transported to a hospital where he was pronounced dead, but he was probably likely already dead. Uh, 26-year-old man was the intruder. So... This is a classic, you know, a home invasion uh, case. Uh, but what's interesting about this is realizing how some of these situations occur where you've got an occupant of the home in a physical struggle with the intruder and the another occupant of the home feels the need to fire shots. And, and good reason, right? But you got to be 
really good. <laughs> you got to be careful not to hit your your brother or your sister, or your mother, your son, whatever, whoever it is. You got to be so 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 careful. You got to make those hits really truly count in a situation like this. Uh, this is uh, that's kind of what I read this story and I go, wow, this is just a great reminder of how how we need to make sure our skills are up to snuff because when it comes to shooting somebody that's fighting, I mean, that means there's a lot of movement going on. You got to have absolute confidence in your skills and your ability and your sight picture, putting those sights on that on that dude and pulling the trigger and and knowing you're not going to end up striking your brother. This is scary stuff. And, you know, the, as I read through this, my first kind of thinking was, well, what, you know, what could I have tried to do to get the two of them apart? Right. You know, and, and it's interesting because in this case, it says that even after being shot, this man wouldn't stop fighting. Right. He was still in the fight. It went all the way outside to the ground. It wasn't until he was basically physically incapable of carrying on the fight that he stopped fighting. So, you know, in this particular circumstance, it sounds like very little probably was going to be effective at, at breaking up the fight. You know, it, it shots maybe had to be fired. This man maybe had to be physically incapacitated in order to end the confrontation. But certainly, you know, in another circumstance, that might not have been the case. Maybe some verbal commands uh, about being armed or stop or, you know, whatever might have been effective. Um, but, but certainly what you don't want to do is bring that gun into the tussle. You don't want to say, oh, don't worry, I'm coming and you know, I'm going to jump in there and make some contact shots or you know, whatever, or, you know, put this gun against the back of their head like I see in movies and be like, hey, dude, stop, stop wrestling with my brother. So there's definitely some do's and some don'ts here. Uh, but if, but you know, certainly if I was in that circumstance, I would at least attempt to see if there were alternative ways to stop the confrontation before I had to shoot into the, the scuffle. Yep. Crazy stuff, man. Yep, no 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 charges filed. Uh, uh, justified use of force here. So let's move on now to WTSP.com. This out of Largo, Florida, where a confrontation between an angry man and a motor motorcyclist escalated into a shooting. Yeah, I like this one a lot because the good guy seems to do a lot of things really well here. So let me see if I can paint the picture. Uh, now, I'm not a motorcyclist myself, but it, an interesting thing that I thought was was kind of you know pointed out here by the journalist is they said that uh, the man, the motorcyclist, when he was wearing his helmet, it was very difficult for him to hear things. And so, as the story goes, it's about 10 p.m. at night. A l- angry, intoxicated man is yelling and waving his arms and confronts a 21-year-old motorcyclist. Okay, so the motorcyclist is is cruising. He can't hear what's going on really well because he's wearing a helmet, but he sees someone yelling and waving his arms at him. And maybe he cut this man off. Maybe this guy just has beef with anyone who rides a motorcycle. I really don't know. Okay, so the agitated, you know, forty-year-old arm-waving dude is very aggressive, and he pushes the motorcyclist down. uh, uh, Actually, not put, not pushes, punched the motorcyclist through the open visor of his helmet. Right, so I'm seeing a helmet with the little eye visor. The eye visor's up, and boom, the fist comes right through the helmet and smacks this dude uh, in the face. And it says it leaves a contusion on his face, whatever you know, whatever you want to draw from that. So the the motorcyclist falls over and is briefly trapped under the motorcycle. You know, in my mind, maybe it's his one leg. You know, that you know, as he straddled the the, the bike and it comes down, maybe his leg is kind of trapped. And he's like, oh my gosh! And this man is still yelling and screaming at him. And so 
he is able to wiggle himself out from underneath his motorcycle because it says reportedly uh, the other man uh, con- you know continued to kind of come around the motorcycle and and uh, and you know looked like he was going to attack him again. So he gets up, uh, the motorcyclist right gets up and starts backing away, and he warns the man that he has a gun and a permit. And reportedly, he told the man to stop walking toward him. And I get the sense that this, this that, that kind of visual happened for a bit. It says uh, that the motorcyclist backed away for approximately 20 to 30 yards, telling the man multiple times that he did not want to shoot him. 20 to 30 yards is a decent amount, right? I mean, 60 that's, to that's, 90 feet. Yeah, I mean, that's that's more than the width of a residential street. Right, so it's it's a pretty decent uh, distance that, that he's backing up, maybe hands on gun. Right, uh, I think he's carrying you know kind of toward his in his back, and he's backing up. Hey, stop! Stop coming toward me! Stop coming toward me! Stop! 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 I don't want to shoot you! I don't want to shoot you! I have a gun! I have a gun! I don't want to shoot you! Stop! Right for twenty to thirty yards of that, and then uh, basically the man, the motorcyclist, says that uh, the the other man, the angry man, made a movement that the motorcyclist felt was an attack or lunge toward him. So he fired his gun three times, striking the man in both arms and once in the torso. Yeah. And uh, that, that's kind of the, the, the long and short of it. It is kind of noteworthy here that the police said after you know they arrived on, sign, on scene, they did find that the angry man was, was wearing a belt sheath for a six-inch fi- fixed blade knife, and the knife was found on the ground at the scene, which suggests probably that the angry man had that knife in hand or had at least drawn it out of the sheath in the process of this attack, maybe even in the very moment that the motorcyclist decided to fire. Yeah. The motorcyclist said he did not see the knife. This is not necessarily surprising to me because, Jacob, you and I, we've, we've run force-on-force scenarios where the good guy in those scenarios doesn't necessarily always see the weapon, especially when that weapon's like a knife or something. Uh, and it's a big, big time learning lesson for a lot of a lot of people because you, as the instructor, we're watching it develop. We we set up we set the stage for that scenario. We know what's going down. We see very clearly, and and, and any of the observers typically see the weapon as well. But the person, the actor that's in that moment, doesn't necessarily always see that weapon. Uh, I think a lot of times because. I think eyes are drawn to eyes, and and I I think we get locked in on on that threat, and that's not necessarily a bad thing because I think we want to be looking at every we want to take in everything that we can. We want to be observing the body language, the facial expressions, the eyes of a person as they are threatening us because it tells us a lot. But we can't forget that we also need to be watching closely the hands and trying to observe what's in the hands. It's the hands that kill. Well, I don't care whether it's a punch, whether it's a knife, whether it's an ice pick, whether it's a gun. It's the hands that we 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 have to make sure. And this is this is a thing that we've I've seen in law enforcement training where we have to remind officers: watch the hands, observe the hands. Yes, look at all those other things, but make sure you see clearly what's going on with those hands, because that's what is going to kill you. So uh, anyway, but I was not surprised at all when I read that. Motorcyclists did not see the knife, but there was clearly a knife present. It was on the ground. It, it probably means, like you said, that dude had it out, had it in his hand, but the motorcyclist just didn't see it. But here's what's cool about the whole situation. You mentioned how he did all this stuff right. He, he, he backed away. He issued commands. He did everything he could to try to avoid having to use deadly force. But at some point he perceived... And he, just, he he couldn't articulate, and that that's a little bit of a shortcoming there. But he 
the fact that it's better always to be able to articulate clearly, right? As far as I saw this and that's why I did that. But he still somehow, whether it's subconscious or whatever, but he perceived that the guy was about to hurt him and he used force and it was justified. So that's, that's really cool. Uh, the one thing I found interesting is it said in the article that he told, he warned the man that he had a gun and a concealed carry permit. I, yeah, you know, I, people get so hung up on these permits. You know, like I, I see it all the time. I see it in comments online, on Facebook and so forth. You know, people are, uh, they, they place way too much weight on that permit. We have to have the permit because the law says we have to have that permit in most jurisdictions to carry a gun concealed. But the permit means diddly jack squat. It has it has it carries no weight. It it has no authority. There, there's nothing about that permit. Like why you would ever take the time, waste the breath to say I have a permit as a warning to somebody. That, that just doesn't compute in my mind. Um, also. Saying you have a gun before you actually have a hand on that gun is probably a little bit of a tactical error as well. And that's kind of how this reads. It's hard to know whether that's actually how it played out. But, uh, you know, again, you know, why show your cards or, or why why give away your cards before you actually show your cards, right? Just, like, get the gun, at least get your hand on that gun and then maybe issue those commands. I mean, I think he was justified in doing so. I know some people get a little bit hung up on, well, you, you know, got to be careful about brandishing and all this stuff. This, this guy is justified, and th- th- there's no question about this shooting being justified. Uh, again, get the hand on the gun. Maybe at that point, sir, back away. I am armed. I will use deadly force. If you know, if you continue coming any closer, you know, but, but don't be hesitating to get that gun out when it's warranted. So, again, the whole permit thing, whatever, but uh, really a remarkable, I think, example of civilian use of deadly force because of all the reasons and examples you gave as well, Jacob. Yep. A couple other just noteworthy things. One is um, (laughs) motorcycle helmets are really good at protecting your noggin if you slam into concrete pretty hard, but Riley, do they stop bullets? (laughs) Not at all. (laughs) So probably a good idea to get the thing off. Yeah, if I if I was in a confrontation and I couldn't hear what some angry man was yelling at me, I think I'd rip that helmet off. And we don't know when it came off at some yeah. point, but that's it's not doing you. Any if good. someone's yelling at you, you can hear. You can hear. People there was, you know, well, maybe he couldn't hear what the dude was saying. He said he couldn't hear. That's what the authorities said in the article. I, I uh, thought maybe it, that's just at first. Maybe at first he didn't know what the man was angry about, but I would I would rip that helmet off. Um I found I don't know. I don't know, dude. I, I, I'd have to think about that a little bit. If this guy's agitated, he's coming at you and he's gonna be punching you. I mean, yeah, he punched him through the open visor. <laughs> I you know, having that helmet on might not be a bad idea in a physical altercation. Yeah, I think as soon as I got off that bike and got up, I would rip that helmet off. Yeah. It's killing my peripheral vision. It's making it hard for me to hear. Uh, yeah, that's my two cents. But mm, I guess I, we don't agree on that one. Yeah, I think you got to use the tools available to you. I understand. Now, for Jacob, it, this is fair fair from your pers- perspective in that you don't have the greatest hearing to begin with. I do not. Um, yeah, I, but But here's the thing. You got somebody that's angry at you, that's screaming at you. I don't know how important it is to actually hear what they say. But I want, I, yeah, hearing is a factor. But for me, I also get really worried about what a helmet would do to my peripheral vision. And maybe that's because I'm not a motorcycle rider. Maybe these helmets have got really good peripheral vision. Nah, I, don't know. I mean, it occludes it for sure. Yeah. But but we should we should be head on a swivel anyway. Sure. Right? <laughs> that would look funny with the helmet. So 
here's maybe some more relevant notes because Riley doesn't like my helmet thoughts. But <laughs> I do know people who, when they ride motorcycle, they don't know how to carry the gun on their person. So they'll often move the firearm to the bike somewhere, you know, maybe in this little seat storage area or different things. It depends on the bike you're wearing and things like that. But this is a situation where had this man not had his gun on him, he'd probably be sliced up right now, right? If that gun had been in or on the bike, I do not think he would have had the opportunity to retrieve it. You know, he got punched down off the bike and then had to scramble up and back away from his attacker. So I think having the gun on you is pretty critical for those of you who do ride motorcycle. I, I hear from motorcyclists who do say that they don't, it, it's awkward or uncomfortable or they think that they'll print or they'll show, you know, they can't conceal properly. For whatever reason, they don't want to have the gun on their body when they're on the bike. So that, that's something to think about. The other thing I was just going to throw out there is that this, the fact pattern sounds strikingly, interestingly similar to uh, Steve Maddox. You know, who we yeah. interviewed a couple of weeks ago, the episode I titled something like The Tale of Two Battles or something like that. Uh, both situations where um, a, a fight took place basically from a bike to the ground and shots had to be fired. So kind of interesting just to see the similarities there. Yeah. Now, David says, you know, he David was with you as far as, yeah, totally with you, Jacob. It's coming off immediately. I'm just saying that I think it's situation dependent, and I think we should at least consider the protection that it offers. Because I'll tell you this much, having watched a lot of video of fights, the the likelihood that you're going to end up in a fight with somebody like this where you're getting punched and kicked, and if it goes to the ground, it gets really bad for you if you're not really prepared physically speaking, that helmet is going to do a lot to protect you. We have to at least consider that. All right? That's all I'm saying That's fair. Here. Sure. Right. Yeah, in a physical fight, yeah, a helmet would be a good shield. Okay, let's move on now to daily local news, dailylocal.com. Uh cool. All right, cool, cool site there. I, I had to do a little research to figure out exactly what state this occurred in because nothing in the article whatsoever mentions where this is at. It mentions Coatesville. After some research, I learned this was in Pennsylvania. So in Coatesville, Pennsylvania, a man who had a permit to fire or to carry a firearm shot and wounded a robbery suspect at the Turkey Hill Market in Coatesville late Tuesday night. This was just before midnight, and a man entered the Turkey Hill Market, displayed a firearm, demanding money from the employees. At the same time, the robbery was witnessed by a man from Middletown as he was about to enter the store. Now, I'm going to pause right there. Yeah, very interesting use of words, isn't it? Yeah. So, I mean, he's not yet in the store, right? So this is one of those moments where it's like, you've got to decide... Do I involve myself in this situation? I'm not a party to yet. Do I increase my own personal risk, physically speaking, as well as legally, by involving myself in the situation? These are big questions to ask. And you got to know, I think you need to know the answer to that, where you stand on that ahead of time. I think you need to really have drilled down personally within your psyche, within your mindset, as to what you are willing to do. Because this is a big deal. I understand, like, I'm totally, I, I, I am empath- empathetic to the idea of you see innocent people being assaulted or threatened by, uh, with, with death, with, you know, this deadly weapon. You want to help. Totally get that. Uh, I'm right there with you, brother. But at the same time, I think, we, again, like the whole, whole helmet thing, it's one of those things like you got to at least consider the fact that by so doing, you increase your own personal risk in a variety of ways dramatically, right? Now, 
the dude does go in. So that's the decision he makes. And fortunately for him, it pans out. He goes in, he fought, he drew his weapon and fired several shots at the suspect. Later identified as 33-year-old man. He was hit multiple times in the lower torso. He's expected to survive. Uh, but uh, in, in by this guy in, involving himself, he was able to stop this robbery and potentially save the lives of the employees in this store. Yeah, I, I mean, the biggest thing that I, I focused in on is the same thing you did. So I don't think I can really add anything to it other than to say that for me personally, based on the information I have, if I'm walking up to a retail establishment, I can see through the doors that someone's got a gun up and is pointing it at people. I cannot imagine a single thing that would get me to go through those doors uh, other than my family being in there. I just, I don't, I don't see it. Yeah. Um, Personally. I think, I think, yeah, no, dude, that, that's a total, totally valid point. And, and that's why I say that it's, it's something that we all need to consider and uh, decide where, where we stand on the, on the issue. Um, I think you and I are a little bit different people as far as I would definitely weigh it as far as, okay, is this wise to do for, you know, is, is this, is this the right thing to do? It's probably the better question. Is this the right thing for me to do? Uh, and some of that's going to depend, I think on whether I feel like I have tactical superiority or not. Right. Can I intervene and not have this guy know ahead of time that I'm about to intervene. Because I'll tell you what, if I if I was witnessing that, I'm not issuing warning commands. I'm not, you know, I'm going in guns blazing. Because there's already a, a threat present. A gun is in, in the hand of of the, of the uh, robber. I'm going in. I'm firing shots. And you know, I'm not advertising the fact, you know, white knight coming in to save the day. Not doing that at all. If I'm deciding to actually make that call to intervene. Uh, but again, I'm going to look at situation go, do I have tactical superiority? Is he going to see me coming? Is he going to hear me coming? Can I intervene, put a stop to this and do so with minimal risk to myself? But at the same time, yeah, you, you got to ask that big question. Okay. Am I going to make it home alive to my family? I have wife and kids that depend on me. Yeah, that's going to play into it for sure. I I am more open to the idea of intervening than than you are, Jacob, and that's totally okay, uh, because my 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 own psyche, my own mindset is, I just I'm, I'm more aggressive in that way. That's just how I'm hardwired. Uh, I'm more willing to take that little bit of additional risk, but it's going to depend, I think, on on the actual tactical uh, scenario. Which which is to your point, that's fine, and teach their own, and that's probably a big you know thing to be thinking about if you're listening to this. It's just. What am I willing to risk my life for? Yeah. And, and if, if it's situational dependent, I mean, the answer, you can use that answer to everything, but it's not going to really help you prepare for it in advance. Right. So to some degree, you do need to think through those things and ask yourself, what am I willing to risk my life for? Yeah. It, the, the, if you're speaking just straight up, you know, like what's the smartest decision for, for you, for number one, right? For numero uno, it is turn around, go the other way, right? Yeah. Like always, like just just sure. doing straight up math, one plus one, whatever you know the math is. Uh, if you're just doing the equation, you should not involve yourself. But there is this, for me personally, the reason why I can't say with definitiveness that that's what I would do is because for my my own moral viewpoint of the world. 
I can't stand by while I watch. Like it's kind of one of those things. Like we we just asked the question a few minutes ago, Jacob. This woman was in front of this police station yelling for help. No one came to her aid. Right? Because people are they're looking at it and going, mm, I don't want to get involved in that. They're making the same decision that you have said that you would make. Yeah. Right? Yeah. And you know that there's something fair about that, right? And and if I, if it wasn't a gun, if I just saw an angry man in there, would I still keep walking? I might. But if you know when I see that gun, I probably would not. Another fair thing to say, and this is this is true whether or not you're already in the engagement or if you're trying to decide if you're going to engage, but we also never know what the outcome is going to be. In this case, we have a guy who's been shot, right? And it's entirely possible that if the Good Samaritan had never arrived on scene, had not gone in the door, had turned around and gone back, no one would have been shot. The man would have gotten some cash yep. and left. That's also entirely possible. He would have gotten some cash, shot a few people, and kidnapped a young woman and took her with her, right? We don't know. And you just yep. don't know. And you know, we read enough stories that go both ways to 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 know that it's foolish to think you can predict the outcome of the situation. And so, to some degree, there's got to be some of that instinctive gut feeling of, you know, is, is someone going to get killed here right now? Am I is me going in there guns a blazing, increasing the jeopardy of human life, or is it decreasing it? And I, yeah, teach teach yep. their own and and hopefully, you know, if any of us find ourselves in a situation, we'll have enough uh, intuition based on what we're able to observe that we'll have some direction. Yep. Gina makes a great point, says that most doors have a bell that dings when you open it. So there is that fear that the offender would hear it and turn towards the door. And that that is absolutely true. And that's one of those things I'm, I'm talking about. Tactically, if you are trying to determine whether this is the right play or not, you got to be, you know, you got to be looking at the situation going, okay, good chance is I'm going to go through that door and it's going to ding and it's going to draw attention to me, right? So that has to be considered that that's why you've got to be ready if you're going to go through that door or maybe you should address the threat through the window. Do you have a good shot through the window with minimal deflection? Uh, being square onto the window to the glass is going to have very little deflection as far as the impact of that round on your intended target. Uh, if you got a strong, you know, a, a relatively steep angle on glass, and you realize you've got other people in the store that are innocents, yeah, that might come into play as far as oh, I don't feel comfortable shooting through this glass at an angle. Uh, so if you can square up to that glass, that's better. Or maybe that's just not an option, and and you decide you're going to go through that door. So what things do you, should you look for that would be good, you know, from a tactical evaluation standpoint? It would be, you know, is there is there can I go through that door and be immediately moving to a point of cover or concealment? Mm-hmm. Um, you know, is, is there, are there obstructions between the door and where the threat is? Uh, you know, can I, can I go through that door and begin firing, you know, immediately fast enough to where, whether it dings or not, it's not going to make much of a difference, but I probably should still be on the move. Should probably still be moving towards where I can hit, you know, a point of cover or concealment so that I'm a little bit protected. You know, all these things got to be considered. I, honestly, ideally, if you have the opportunity to take the shot through the glass, that's probably the, the better play, um, provided that you don't feel like there's going to be a, an issue with deflection and missing the target and or hitting an innocent. Because uh, even if you don't hit an innocent, if, if you just miss the the threat, he's able now to shoot at you, you know, that that's a, that's a problem as well. You want to have confidence that your hits are going to hit. Well, there's also a legal implication here that's obviously a, a, you know, a secondary consideration and, and less important. But <clears throat> if <laughs> if I was this man and I saw the threat before I entered the store and I chose then to continue to enter the store and engage, I wouldn't be telling the cops all this. 
I wouldn't be I wouldn't be making a statement to the effect of, yep, I arrived on scene and from the sidewalk I saw the man in there with the guns sure. so I chose to enter. Um, that change there are you know you change legal implications and at very least you you change the narrative that, that the prosecutor is going to be able to give the jury when you make it very clear that you chose despite having a safe retreat to engage now a duty to retreat exists in very few states um, even outside the home it's even it's like 13 states so yeah if, if you're in a duty to retreat state then you probably had a duty to retreat on this one but even if you're not, uh, despite not having a legal duty to retreat, that that is going to play into the narrative that the prosecutor is going to tell. Yep. Cool. I think that was our last story. So that brings us up to the end here. Uh, a lot of good stories here to talk about today. And so we appreciate you for uh, listening. Hopefully you got something out of this that's of value to you and helps you be a little bit better, a little bit more prepared, and a little bit more safe in your own personal concealed carry lifestyle. Uh, so... A reminder that today's episode made possible because of HiViz sites. Check out the new HiViz LightWave H3 sites available now at HiVizSites.com. Again, we'll be giving you a full report as we get some rounds downrange uh, through these. I'm looking forward to it. I don't anticipate any problems. In fact, I'm sure it's going to go great. Uh, they're a little bit different site than what I have been using recently as far as these ones are quite a bit lower profile. Uh you know, other sites that I've had on my guns or, or have on some of my current guns have a little bit taller profile, not necessarily like a suppressor height site, but just, you know, this is a more traditional profile of a site, but they look like a, a really great site. So I'm really excited to try them out. But now at this point, it's time to announce our weekly giveaway winner. And so this is again for the Vehicle Firearm Tactics online course, uh, product so you'll be given you'll be granted online access to the vehicle firearm tactics video course which again can be watched on your computer on a tablet on the on your mobile devices especially if you're using the concealed carry gun tools app it'll be really great this week we had uh, a good number of entries and so I am going to hit the button here momentarily but we got to get the 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 now what I'm going to say the classic concealed carry uh podcast machine gun drum roll so should we do it make it happen here we go and this week's winner of the vehicle farm tactics online video course is jeff with a t jeff t Jeff and uh, has at gmail.com. There could be quite a few of you, but Jeff, we will email you and and uh, we'll basically we'll we'll figure out how to, you know, if you already have an account on our site, it'll be really easy for us to add access uh, for that course. If not, well, we'll just have to get an account set up for you. So really easy to do, but we'll be in touch with you, Jeff. Congrats to Jeff on winning this week's giveaway. And just a note to anybody, if you've ever won a prize on the podcast or you think you've won a prize and you've not heard from us or you know, you've know you never received your prize, please reach out and let us know. It's yeah. never our intention to um, not deliver on these prizes, but on occasion we do get an email or a message from someone who says, hey, it's never showed up and we find out that you know the order was not input correctly or maybe we emailed you to tell you you won, but it went to your spam uh, email That's folder. That's happened. Never saw it. So th mm -hmm. these are all things that happen. Just so, just note if you think you won, or if you did win and you didn't get your prize, you didn't hear from us. Just check in, and we will make sure we get you sorted out. Yep, yep. You know, and there's 
been yeah admittedly there's been a couple of times i've failed to uh, get in touch with a few people because we've just it's been a crazy couple of weeks here uh yeah with the expo with all kinds of things <laughs> going on so bear with us we apologize uh if, if but uh, we'll definitely get it sorted out as quickly as we can uh so congrats again to jeff and congrats to everybody else uh for you know that has our our past winners and also our future winners guys keep making sure you enter in each week concealedcarry.com forward slash podcast prize is where you can do it for next week and i just saw on the page we got to go get it fixed jacob it's uh the tacos cards, that's with a T on the end. And right now it reads take like tacos, <laughs> which I love tacos. <laughs> but it actually, I, it's, I fixed it already. Oh, your, your browser is probably cached. Yep. 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 No, it, it, it just updated. So cool, cool. So the tacos cards, I, I showed those uh, to those viewing live just a little bit ago at the beginning of the episode. So tacos cards, you'll get a, a set of the pistol tacos cards. They're really great. I, I love these things a lot. So they, they actually give me some ideas sometimes on on things to do for some of the videos that we film. So anyway, Takeos Cards by Trident Concepts. That's uh, Jeff Gonzalez's uh, company, if, in case you don't recall. And Jeff has been on the podcast a number of times, and we always appreciate uh, Jeff and what he does uh, for us and, and with our business relationship. So with that, it now brings us to the end, and it's a wrap. Jacob, any last parting words? It's uh, summertime, so as you are wearing different clothes and doing different things, make sure that if you're changing your holster or your carry position or things like that, that you just get some fresh repetitions and so that your, your uh, for lack of better term, I'll use the cliche, muscle memory is up to date and accurate and you're ready to go. Yeah. Awesome. And we'll try to do an episode here at some point because we got an email about it and I think it's a, a worthy topic where we could talk a little bit more specifically about different summer activities and how we might carry uh, some, some strategies and tools and techniques for that. So anyway, be safe out there, folks. A reminder to train right, train often, and train safe so you can fight hard, fight fast, and fight true. Take care. that laws vary from place to place and we encourage listeners to seek local legal advice to understand applicable laws the concealed carry podcast concealed carry inc concealed carry.com and their affiliates strive to share insights and stories about firearm related incidents and laws but things could be different where you live or laws may have changed by the time you listen to this we cannot be held liable for your actions based on the information shared in this podcast